0: Welcome to the Tory podcast Tales from Near and Far, Read to you by Protam Data. A Charles History of England by Charles Dickens. Read to you by Protam Data. This is where we are right now. Edward III is the King of England, and there's a massive battle, or a set of battles, going on between England and France at that time, which is oftentimes known as the Hundred Years' War. Among them, some of the very famous ones, one we talked about already, was the Battle of Cressy, And the second one, which ten years later in 1356 is about to be fought, is the Battle of Poitiers. Now these battles are being fought, Edward III, but his son, the Black Prince, is primarily the protagonist who defines these battles. He gets his first and second spurs in these battles, but he also uses a very famous line called Humut ik den, which, if you ought to think of it, is Old Cornish, humut, which is courage, and ik den which is to a certain degree Germanic and means I serve. And he's taken the battle over to King Philip's son, King Philip's dead, John, and it's about to begin. So here comes the Black Prince and the Battle of Poitiers, the third part of the history of Edward III. So... On a Sunday morning, the 18th of September, the Prince's army was now reduced to 10,000 men in all, prepared to give battle to the French king, who had 60,000 horse alone. While he was so engaged, there came riding from the French camp a cardinal who had persuaded John to let him offer terms and try to save the shedding of Christian blood. Save my honour! said the prince to this good priest and save the honour of my army and I will make any reasonable terms. He offered to give up all the towns, castles and prisoners he had taken and to swear to make no war in France for seven years. But as John would hear of nothing but his surrender with a hundred of his chief knights the treaty was broken off and the prince said quietly, God defend the right, we shall fight tomorrow. Therefore, on the Monday morning, at break of day, the two armies prepared for battle. The English were posted in a strong place, which could only be approached by one narrow lane, skirted by hedges on both sides. The French attacked them by this lane, but were so golden slain by English arrows from behind the hedges that they were forced to retreat. Then went 600 English bowmen round and coming upon the rear of the French army, rained arrows on them, thick and fast. The French knights, thrown into confusion, quit their banners and dispersed in all directions. Said Sir John Chandos to the prince, Ride forward, noble prince, and the day is yours. The King of France is so valiant a gentleman that I know he will never fly and may be taken prisoner. Said the prince to this, Advance, English banners, in the name of God and Saint George. And on they pressed until they came upon the French king fighting fiercely with his battle axe and when all his nobles had forsaken him attended faithfully to the last by his youngest son Philip only 16 years of age. Father and son fought well and the king had already two wounds in his face and had been beaten down when he at last delivered himself to a banished French knight and gave him his right-hand glove in token that he had done so. The Black Prince was generous as well as brave, and he invited his royal prisoner to supper in his tents, and waited upon him at table, and, when they afterwards rode into London in a gorgeous procession, mounted the French king on a fine cream-coloured horse, and rode at his side on a little pony. This was all very kind but I think it was perhaps a little theatrical too and has been made more meritorious than it has deserved to be especially as I am inclined to think that the greatest kindness to the King of France would have been not to have shown him to the people at all. However, it must be said, for these acts of politeness that in course of time, they did much to soften the horrors of war and the passions of conquerors. It was a long, long time before the common soldiers began to have the benefit of such courtly deeds, but they did at last. And thus, it is possible that a poor soldier who asked for a quarter at the Battle of Waterloo or any such great fight may have owed his life indirectly to Edward the Black Prince. At this time, there stood in the Strand in London a palace called the Savoy, which was given up to the captive king of France and his son for their residence. As the king of Scotland had now been King Edward's captive for 11 years too, his success was at this time tolerably complete the Scottish business was settled by the prisoner being released under the title of Sir David King of Scotland and by his engaging to pay a large ransom. The state of France encouraged England to propose harder terms to that country where the people rose against the unspeakable cruelty and barbarity of its nobles, where the nobles rose in turn against the people with the most frightful outrages were committed on all sides and where the insurrection of the peasants called the insurrection of the Jacquerie, From Jacques, a common Christian name among the people in France, awakened terrors and hatreds that have scarcely yet passed away. A treaty called the Great Peace was at last signed, under which King Edward agreed to give up the greater part of his conquest, and King John to pay within six years a ransom of three million crowns of gold. He was so beset by his own nobles and courtiers for having yielded to these conditions, though they could help him to know better, that he came back off his own will to this old palace prison of the Savoy, and there There was a sovereign of Castile at that time called Pedro the Cruel who deserved the name remarkably well having committed among other cruelties a variety of murders. This amiable monarch being driven from his throne for his crimes went to the province of Bordeaux with the black prince now married to his Cousin Joan, a pretty widow, was residing and besought his help. The prince, who took to him much more kindly than a prince of such fame ought to have taken to such a ruffian, readily listened to his fair promises and agreeing to help him sent secret orders to some troublesome disbanded soldiers of his and his father's who called themselves the Free Companions and who had been a pest the French people for some time to aid this Pedro the prince himself going into Spain to head the army of relief soon set Pedro on the throne again where he no sooner found himself than of course he behaved like the villain he was broke his word without the least shame and abandoned all the promises he had made to the black prince now, it had cost the prince a good deal of money to pay soldiers to support this murderous king. And finding himself, when he came back disgusted to Bordeaux, not only in bad health but deeply in debt, he began to tax his French subjects to pay his creditors. They appeal to the French king Charles, war again broke out in the French town of Limoges, which the prince had greatly benefited, went over to the French king. Upon this, he ravaged the province of which it was the capital, burnt and plundered and killed in old, sickening way, and refused mercy to the prisoners, men, women, and children taken in the offending town, though he was so ill and so much in need of pity himself from heaven, that he was carried in a litter. He lived to come home and make himself popular with the people in Parliament and he died on Trinity Sunday, the 8th of June, 1356, at 46 years old. The whole nation mourned for him as one of the most renowned and beloved prince it had ever had and he was buried with great lamentations in Canterbury Cathedral Near to the tomb of Edward the Confessor, his monument with his figure carved in stone and represented in the old black armour, lying on its back, may be seen at this day with an ancient coat of mail, a helmet and a pair of gauntlets hanging from a beam above it, which most people like to believe were once worn by the Black Prince. King Edward did not outlive his renowned son long. He was old, and one, Alice Peres, a beautiful lady, had contrived to make him so fond of her in his old age that he could refuse her nothing, and made himself ridiculous. She little deserved his love, or, what I dare say, she valued a great deal more, the jewels of the late queen, which he gave her among other rich presents. She took the very ring from his finger one morning, and, when he died, left him to be pillaged by his faithless servants. Only one good priest was true to him and attended him to the last. Besides being famous for the great victories I have related, the reign of King Edward III was rendered memorable in better ways, by the growth of architecture and the erection of Windsor Castle. In better ways still, by the rising up of Wycliffe, originally a poor parish priest, who devoted himself to exposing with wonderful power and success the ambition and corruption of the Pope and of the whole church of which he was the head. Some of those Flemings were induced to come to England in this reign too and to settle in Norfolk, where they made better woolen cloths than the English had ever had before. The order of the Garter. A very fine thing in its way, but hardly so important as good clothes for the nation, also dates from this period. The king is said to have picked up a lady's garter at a ball, and to have said, Oni soit qui ma les which from French to English means, Evil be to him who evil thinks of it. The courtiers were usually glad to imitate what the king said or did, and hence, from a slight incident, the order of the garter was instituted and became a great dignity. So the story goes. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.